So double check everything on your e-bulletin. Want to make sure that you're updated on everything. But we do have a Bible study that we want to uh, embark on this morning as we continue our study in Matthew. So Matthew chapter 22, we've gone as far as verse 15, if you'll turn there. For those of you who may be visiting, we uh, go through the books of the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Actually, on Wednesday, our online service, we're going to start the Minor Prophets. This week, Hosea. When we get done with the Minor Prophets, that is... Uh, two times that we've gone through the Bible, all 66 books. And uh, so that's going to take a little bit of time, the minor prophets, but, um, you know, join us for that on calvarychapelgreeley.org or Facebook Live uh, as we start Hosea 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights for that study. But this morning on Sunday, we're going to be in Matthew, and Jesus there in Jerusalem in his final days before his crucifixion. And if you've been traveling with us through Matthew on Sunday morning, you know that it is Passover, which began with Jesus riding on a donkey and the people waving the palm branches, crying out to him as they ascribe to him Messiah. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you bless this time in the study of your word. Lord, we need to hear from you. And particularly as we go through this vignette, that's recorded for us and in the Synoptic Gospels, that we're very familiar with it. But I believe that we need to pay special attention to it, especially in the day in which we're in. And Lord, I pray that we would be teachable to, to remember to turn our ringers off our phones, to be free from distractions while we got a few moments in the Word of God, that this is inspired by you, God breathed, put to the page so we can be benefited and instructed and blessed. I pray as we hear the word of God that it would change us to where we would leave this place. Even as Jesus spoke, the people marveled at what he said, that we would marvel. We'd be more in love with you than when we came in. That it would just um, deepen our relationship and fellowship with you. That, Lord, that we would develop a hunger for the Word of God. So take the seed of the Word, Lord, and work it deep within our hearts, that it may produce fruit in our lives. I pray that all of us that are listening, whether online or here in the sanctuary or in the coffee shop, that our hearts would be teachable and soft and our ears open to you. So, Lord, we give you this time in the study of your Word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So the next day after he would come into Jerusalem and what is called the triumphal entry, we know that Jesus went into the temple and he would uh, clear out all those who were buying and selling the animals. He overturned the money changers' tables. And there he rebuked the religious leaders, the priests who were overseeing all that activity. He was also bringing healing to those who had physical infirmities, and he was teaching. And so the people were listening to him teach. One gospel writer records that they hung on to every word that he spoke. And as he's doing that, the religious leaders come. And they interrupt him, and they are demanding, by what or whose authority do you do these things, these works? And Matthew records that the works that he did were wonderful. But the religious elders and chief priests, they were indignant. They were angry at his works. And so we saw that Jesus did not directly answer their question concerning his authority, which we know came from heaven. 
He had already told them, as John records, those religious leaders, that I, I do no works apart from my Father. I only do the works of my Father. But Jesus, in indirectly answering them, would speak three parables, as we saw in the beginning of verse 23 of the previous chapter through verse 14 of chapter 22 here, where we left off last time. And in those parables, speaking, he would talk and speak of the parable of the two sons, the parable of the wicked vine dressers, and the third parable, the wedding feast. And as he tells of those parables, he once again is exposing their religiousness. He is exposing their, their hypocrisy and their corruptive heart. And so we looked at those three parables very carefully over the last couple of weeks. Now the Pharisees, along with the Sadducees and the Herodians and the scribes, the religious elite of the nation will continue to mount up their opposition against Jesus. And eventually, in just a couple days from where we are at here in Matthew chapter 22, they will get their break. They will have Judas come to them and say, I will betray him into your hands. They will have him arrested and put on a series of trials and then be handed over to the Romans to have him be put to death on Calvary's cross. And as I have told you, keep in mind that, remember, it is Passover. That feast that was instituted clear back in the book of Exodus chapter 12 as God was about ready to deliver his people from Egypt. And in Exodus chapter 12, they were told that what you're to do is you're to take a lamb, pick it out on the 10th day of Nisan, and you're to keep that lamb to the 14th day. That lamb is to be without spot and blemish. In other words, you are to keep inspecting that lamb for those four days. And then on the 14th, that that lamb's going to be the Passover lamb that's going to be sacrificed. Paul the Apostle would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that Christ is our Passover was sacrificed for us. The Lamb of God riding into Jerusalem for Passover now being inspected by the leaders of the nation. Not only the religious leaders of Israel, but the civil leaders of Rome. They are inspecting his integrity. They are inspecting his truthfulness, his authority. And we will see even his theology. And he will pass their inspection perfectly. There will be no fault found in him, as it will be declared. Because he is the perfect Lamb of God without spot or blemish. So let's begin our study here this morning at verse 15. As we do read that the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and you teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone for you do not regard the person of men. Now, they come to him, and as they were demanding, asking about his authority, now the Pharisees, they come along, uh, along with the Herodians, coming together in their common hatred for Jesus. And as we read in verse 15, they are trying to entangle him in his speech, trying to trip him up. They're, they're challenging his integrity. Let's find some reason to accuse him. They, they thought they were so smart. They thought they were so clever that we're going to trap him. We're going to back him into a corner. But they come, and this time, they come with a little bit of a different approach. This time, they come using flattery. Now, before we talk about that, it's interesting, isn't it, how some people, some groups will come together. They don't have any common ground with each other, don't really care for each other, don't even like each other, such as the Pharisees and the Herodians. They will come together. 
that come against Christ. They will do that today. They'll come against Christians. They'll come against the Bible. They'll come against, you know, uh, the Word of God. They'll come against Jesus. Anything that has to do with God. And here we see that they're coming against Jesus. It began clear back in his early ministry in the Galilee in Matthew chapter 12. Also, you can read it in Mark chapter 3, verse 6. After Jesus healed that man with the withered hand there in the synagogue, it says that the Pharisees and the Herodians were determined to put him to death. So the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were the ones that kept the most minute details of the law. We know that the Herodians, they were the political party. So there was a lot of differences between the two groups, but yet they're coming together in their common hatred for Jesus. And as they come, Matthew tells us that they want to entangle him, set a trap for him. They come with flattery. We know that you are true. We know you teach the way of truth and are a respecter of no person. Now Luke's account of this vignette tells us that they sent spies who pretended to be righteous that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the authority. And Luke also tells us that they were watching him. Now I want to stop for a moment and, and, and remind you that we have an enemy that is watching us. Just as the enemies of Jesus are plotting and planning, we are told they are watching him. We have an enemy, our adversary Satan, who does the same thing with us. And you know that to be true. Because Job chapter 1, remember that when, when God asked Satan, he says, have in that heavenly scene that unfolds there in the beginning of Job, that have you considered my servant Job? Oh, he's blameless. He's upright. He fears me. He shuns evil. And what was the answer of Satan? Answers, he answered, yes. Yes, I've watched him. I considered him. That's what that word consider means. It's a military term, actually, how someone would watch the enemy, how they can get a foothold into their life. And that's what Satan does. And we need to be sober and vigilant because Peter writes that our adversary, Satan, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It was after this that in a couple of days on that last night that Peter is with Jesus before his crucifixion, that Jesus turned to Peter and said, that Peter, Satan's been asking for you. He wants to shift you like wheat. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? How freaked out you know, I would be if he said that. What do you mean that Jesus has been, you know, or Satan has been asking for me? That would scare me. But he is our adversary. And he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, as Peter writes years later in his epistle. We don't want to fall prey to him. He lays the traps. He's deceptive. He's a liar. He's a counterfeit. These religious leaders are coming, and they lie, and they're deceptive, and they're laying the trap for Jesus. And Satan called the accuser of the brethren in Revelation chapter 12, who accuses us day and night. He is watching you, and he is plotting how he might get a foothold into your life, how he might get a foothold into your family, how he might get a foothold and come against us as a church. And that's why Paul would write <coughs> to the Corinthians, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. And that Ephesians chapter 6 tells us to put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to resist the wiles of the devil. So as Luke's narrative tells us that they watched him and sent spies and pretended to be righteous, that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power of the authorities, to the governor. Now, 
That is a description. As we see, they set spies to pretend to be righteous. Now, they should know that spying on Jesus is not going to work. Or pretending to be righteous. He knows their hearts. He knows what they're up to. He's going to call them out on it. Listen, for you and for me this morning, we can pretend to be spiritual. We can pretend to be righteous. You can even pretend to be a Christian. But God knows your heart. And you cannot fool God. You can fool your family, maybe. You can fool others at work. You can fool me, but you cannot fool God. And that's why Paul to the Corinthians would say that you examine yourselves to see if you are truly in the faith. So he knows what they're up to and how is it that they want to trap him, have him answer in such a way to where they might dismiss him as coming from God or accuse him in such a way that he would be handed over to the authorities. Well, we continue reading verse 17. Tell us, therefore, I, I can just, you know, hear these religious leaders. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Jesus, knowing they're just coming with this phony flattery, Why do you test me, you hypocrites, trying to smooth talk me? You're not fooling me. And all they're wanting to do is trap them in the question that they're asking. Tell us, what do you think? What do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, here's the thing. Keep in mind the scene here that Jesus has been teaching at the temple. There's a large crowd. They set, are trying to set Jesus up to the people that are listening. They are listening here, this crowd, and watching this all play out. If I had Jesus up here at this pulpit, and if we were to ask him, tell us, should we pay taxes or not? Tell us, should I get vaccinated or not? Tell us, should I wear a mask or not? Those are hot topics, very hot topics, that have caused all kinds of discussion and arguments and division in our nation, even in the church. My point is this. If he was here and we were to ask him those questions, every single one of you would wake up. You would be leaning forward and you'd be listening very carefully to what he would have to say. My point is this. That's what's happening here. Everyone in the temple court is listening very intently. Is it lawful? What do you say? to pay taxes to Caesar. We're so familiar with the story, sometimes it loses its impact. Tell us, is it yes or is it no? Is it one or is it the other? Because we know that if Jesus says, yes, pay taxes to Caesar, then he would be seen as a friend to Rome. He's a friend to Rome who's oppressing our people, denying the sovereignty of God over Israel. The people hated the fact that they had to pay taxes to Rome. And he would be seen as a traitor. And the Pharisees, maybe they are right. And maybe he is one that we need to be afraid of because he's eating with tax collectors. If he says, yes, pay taxes to Caesar, then the crowds are going to turn from him. They hated paying that tax to Rome. But it was more than that. 
He had just come into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday in the previous chapter. They're expecting him to usher in the kingdom. That's what Luke's gospel says immediately. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're waving their palm branches, which was a symbol of political and national freedom. The Rome's going to get theirs. The sky's going to open up. The angels are going to descend. The kingdom of God is going to come. And that didn't happen. That didn't happen. And they're probably a little restless right now. He should have done that last Sunday. If he says, yes, pay taxes, then the people are going to be confused, begin to walk away. Then the religious leaders will think, now we can get our hands on him without fearing the people. This is the reason why they don't nab him right now. They fear the people. And we know that they are fearing him right now, hoping to get a break from that so they can nab him and put him to death. If he answers, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar, then the Herodians being there, the political party, you know what they would do? They would go right to Pilate and to the Romans and say, you know that guy that caused a scene last Sunday coming into Jerusalem? The whole city was moved and people were waving the palm branches. Well, he continues to lead this rebellion. He's down there at the temple. He's telling people not to pay their taxes to Rome to give tribute to Caesar, you need to go and arrest him and put him away. And I think that's what they're hoping would happen. Because when Jesus goes on trial in the religious council, the Sanhedrin condemn him. They condemn him to death. They have to hand him over to Rome. They have to bring up these civil charges to Rome. Pilate in Rome did not care that he claims to be a messiah. Pilate would tell the religious leaders, then deal with him according to your laws, and they had to bring up some trumped-up charges against him to Pilate. And you really see that in Luke's gospel in chapter 23. Luke tells us that when the religious leaders bring him to Pilate, they said, Pilate, we're handing him over to you because he's perverting the nation and he's telling people not to pay taxes to Rome which was an outright lie, as we're going to see in Jesus' answer. They, one thing that Rome was not going to put up with, and that was someone leading a rebellion against them. Sedition was dealt with very, very harshly in Rome and in anyone who came against the civil leaders. Secondly, the Jews legally could not put Jesus to death, which was by means of stoning. Because in about 13 AD, Rome said, you Jews cannot exercise the death penalty any longer. That was a clear discretion of Rome. Now, when Rome said that, the religious leaders were very upset. Matter of fact, they went into a mourning period for the nation. And why did they do that? Well, the reason was, is back in Genesis, Jacob on his deathbed, he's prophesying over his 12 sons. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, prophesying for Judah, that the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes, or that is Messiah comes. The scepter, the symbol of kingship is what it means. The ability to be able to rule. You cannot rule if you cannot exercise the death penalty over the people. They saw that as an establishment of government to be able to judge someone guilty and to be able to exercise the death penalty if, if that was the cause according to their law. 
And Jacob was prophesying that the ability to rule, the scepter, will not depart until Shiloh comes or Messiah comes. So in 13 AD, when the Romans took that away from the Jews, that they could no longer use the death sentence, the Talmud, as well as Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that the high priest went throughout the streets of Jerusalem. He's weeping and he's wailing and he's throwing dust on his head and saying that the word of God has been broken because the scepter had departed from Judah and Shiloh, or Messiah, has not come. We know the high priest was wrong, wasn't he? Because he didn't realize and he did not recognize that the age of 12, there is that young boy from Nazareth being raised in a carpenter shop that's disputing with the religious leaders there in the temple. They're marveling at his wisdom. It was Jesus. Now, someone may ask me after the service, what about Stephen in the book of Acts? Stephen, one of the first deacons ordained in Acts chapter 6, we see that, that he is brought before the religious council and, and he's found guilty and they were so enraged as they gave a testimony and they drug him out of that hearing and they stoned him to death. And matter of fact, the one holding the coats for the one that was stoning Stephen to death, the first martyr recorded Christian in the church, was a guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus, later on known as Paul the Apostle. And as they stoned Stephen, they did that in complete rebellion. But legally, they were not supposed to do that. So they are hoping that he says, don't pay taxes to Rome so they can hand them over to the authorities. And these religious leaders didn't expect that there would be a third answer. Should we pay taxes or not? Yes or no? And Jesus, the way he handles this is absolutely amazing. So here he says, you know, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Verse 19, show me the tax money. So they brought him a Daenerys. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God the things that are God's. And when they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. So Matthew records he perceived their wickedness. Luke writes that he perceived their craftiness. Mark records that he perceived their hypocrisy. Here Jesus calls them out on what they were doing. Why do you test me? Why do you test me, you hypocrites? And he's saying that in front of everyone. Now the religious leaders thought that they had turned up the heat on Jesus by asking this question. Jesus now has turned the tables on them, calls them out on their hypocrisy in front of everyone, and he could have said, you phonies, you just go away, but he doesn't do that. Now, in Luke's account of this vignette here, we know that it's recorded that Jesus said, show me a Daenerys. Whose image and inscription does it have? They answer Caesar, just as Matthew records. Matthew records, show me the tax money. So the Daenerys that would be given to him, and I know that some of you may be interested in, the, in this, this probably would have been the Tiberius Denarii. It was made from 14 to 37 AD. It is a silver coin. The Roman Senate only had the power to mint copper coins, only the emperor could decree to mint silver or gold coins. So the denarii of Tiberius, it would have the image of Tiberius on one side and the words 
Tiberius Caesar, son of divine Augustus. Remember Augustus? That it came to pass in those days that the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered for new taxes. The Christmas story, Luke chapter 2, Caesar Augustus was ruling the emperor of Rome during the birth of Jesus. He dies his son, Tiberius. Caesar is a title. And they have found these, these coins. Tiberius Caesar, son of divine Augustus. And on the other side of the coin, there would be an image of Tiberius on his throne. So they would ascribe divinity, deity to Caesar um, Tiberius. And, and he would be there, that image of him on his throne, declared the highest priest is the writing there. The reason I'm telling you this is not to bore you. But I'm telling you this because you can understand why the Jews considered that coin to be blasphemous. And, and this was the tax money that they were to pay to Rome, to Caesar. At this time, I read one source where the Jews paid a lot of taxes. About 50% of what they made would go to taxes. Their crops, sale taxes, you know, the temple tax, they would be extorted. So about 50% of what they made would go to taxes. How would you like that tax rate? Matter of fact, on our last trip, you know, to Israel before COVID broke out at the end of 2019, I was asking our tour guide, Ami, I said, what's the tax rate here in Israel? He said 50%. They have free, you know, uh, Medicare and, and health and all that. But 50% what they make goes to taxes. I know there are people in our nation and leaders that would love to have that tax rate. This tax here was paid once a year to Caesar. It went to Caesar. And Jesus' answer is amazing. The other Gospels say, bring me the Daenerys. So he borrows the coin, whose image is on it, Caesar. And I kind of picture Jesus just taking that coin and flipping it back to whoever gave it to him. And he gives this marvelous answer. Render, therefore, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And the people marveled at their, his answer. Two parts of this. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Render means give what is due. What does the word of God have to say about that? Well, I think that most of us are familiar with Romans chapter 13. I'll read it to you, the first seven verses. But let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister as an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's minister attending continually to this very thing. So render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Interesting, isn't it? I know that as we look at government, as we pay taxes, we get frustrated, don't we? 
We can get frustrated in working with them. We get concerned in the direction that our nation is going. There's all that debate, all that going on. And as we consider that, I know that there's wasteful spending and what they want to spend our tax money on. We get all of that. But we can be thankful, can't we? I'm thankful that we have a standing military that's protecting our interests. And I believe that they are some of the finest young men and women because they're all volunteers and they were drafted. They weren't forced to join. And we are safe, meaning in this morning in large part because they're protecting our freedoms and very thankful for the past veterans that have, you know, been in the military to protect us, to guide us. And thankful in remembering those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. I am a supporter of those in law enforcement and first responders. And a vast majority that I know that I have worked with, been privileged to minister alongside of with them, that they want to serve their community. They want to protect their community. They want to be a help to their community, to keep our community safe. And you and I, we can pick up the phone and dial 911, and we have hope, and there will be a response to that call that we make. Most places in the world do not have that at all. They don't have that at all. I'm thankful that we have clean water to drink. So we do enjoy and reap the benefits of what we render to Caesar. We do have freedom to meet here this morning. And I know that the discussion can be that we're concerned about our freedoms that are eroding. But you and I, we can be here this morning and you can go home from the morning service. And you can have brunch, and you can have roast pastor. You can talk, you know, about the civil leaders. You can talk all that stuff. You can post it. You can do whatever it is that you want. You have the freedom to do that. Do that in North Korea. The fastest growing church in the world today is Iran. Do that in Iran. Do that in Iran and speak against the ayatollahs, the leaders. Speak against the the mullahs. And if you do, and they find out, you're going to go bye-bye, and you're not coming back. Paul and Peter tell us in God's word, honor the king and submit to the powers that be. And they wrote that when Nero was emperor, and both of them were put to death by the powers that be. Listen, if the day comes where they tell me I can't preach the gospel, I'm going to preach the gospel. If the day comes where they tell me that I can't teach our kids that God created them, he's the creator, I'm going to tell them the truth. If the day comes where they say I can't declare that which is sin, that the Bible says and there needs to be repentance of sin, I'm going to take God's word over man's ordinance. Because the word of God trumps what the civil authorities say. But here's the thing. The Word of God also says that we be subject to the governing authorities. And over the last year and a half, we've maneuvered through all of that, all of us personally and we as a church, and it could get more and more challenging. Are our freedoms going to erode? I don't know. Are they going to try to prevent us from gathering together? I don't know. We'll see what's going to happen. So we need to be in prayer. We need to be continuing in the word of God. We need to be praying for our nation because the hope of our nation is a spiritual revival. But here's the thing that I want to conclude this morning. Here's what concerns me the most. It is the second part of Jesus' answer. 
Render to God the things that are God. You are made in the image of God. And you are so much more valuable than a coin. We were made in the image of God. And we rebelled. And he didn't let us go. He redeemed us. He purchased us back, not with silver and gold as Peter would write, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. And remember this always, that Caesar wants something completely different from you than what God does. Will you write that down? Caesar wants something completely different from you than what God does. And what does he want from you? He wants to save you, which a vast majority, I know people that are here, that you've been saved as you come to Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness of sin. He is the only one that can save you. You cannot save yourself. A pastor cannot save you, and a church will not save you. Only Jesus, who went to the cross and died for your sins. He hung on that cross, and he said, it is finished. And as he shed his blood for the atonement of sin, because we have all sinned, that's the good news, that he did the work, and he paid the price. And as we recognize our need to be forgiven and come and surrender our hearts to him, then we are forgiven. We have fellowship with the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he validated what he did on the cross by rising from the grave. And now we have a living hope and the hope of eternal life. The Father sending his Son to redeem us. To redeem us. You see, the problem isn't usually rendered the things to Caesar that belong to Caesar's. We'll do that. We'll debate on it. We'll murmur about it. I'm there with you. But the concern, the priority should be this. Am I rendering to God what belongs to him? Is that my heart? Is that your heart? My time, my resources, my gifts, my service, what I say and what I do, it all belongs to you, Lord. Because remember what Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, we are his poem. Literally means a poem. That a poem that if you write or if you do art, you know, it's, it's something of you're creating. The Lord created you and me. We are his workmanship, his poem. Created, Paul writes, for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He has a purpose for your life. And we are here for such a time as this. Amen. And keep your eyes on the things above, as he would write to the church at Colossae, not on the things of this world. And you got to be careful, all of us, because Jesus said we will see in the Olivet Discourse as he's talking about his return. And I believe with all of my heart that he's going to return sooner than we think. At least that's my prayer. And he says, don't be weighed down with carousing, with drunkenness, you say, well, I won't get weighed down with that and with the cares of life. That yes, there are things all around us and there are voices all around us, but you make sure that you prioritize the Lord in your life, every day of your life, every area of your life. Because you are here for such a time as this and you are his workmanship created for good works that God prepared before that you should walk in them. 
He wants to use you. So are we, in the honesty of our hearts, rendering to God what belongs to Him? Have you sought the Lord on that? Or Lord, am I holding back from you? So Father, we do come. We thank you for this word given to us. That in the honesty of our hearts, that we can look to you. Are there things that we are holding back from you? The distractions of the world are all around us. The cares of life can weigh us down. And Lord, we are to render to things to Caesar that belongs to him. But Lord, we render to God, to you, what belongs to you. And that is all of us, all of our hearts. So Lord, in the honesty of our hearts, when we leave here and we continue on with you, that Lord, that if there's anything that's taken us away from you, anything that you've been dealing with us, that we would turn away from it because it all belongs to you. Jesus gave all to die for our sins, to give us an eternal hope and marvelous, glorious relationship with you, Father. I thank you for that. This world is going to pass away. It's only the things that we have done for Christ that will last. It's only the kingdom of God that lasts forever. And we thank you that we can belong to the family of God as we come to Christ. And I do want to pray if there's anyone here this morning that you've never given your heart and your life to Jesus to ask for forgiveness of sin. We've all sinned. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. And the foot of the cross is flat. We all have access and the invitation is always to come. To come and recognize that you're a sinner in need of the Savior. He is the Savior of the world. And to humble your heart and to confess that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness. That's why Jesus came. When he hung on that cross, he knew about you. He knew about you personally, individually. And he says, come and receive me as Lord and Savior. Be forgiven. Have the hope of eternal life and right relationship with the Father. He cried from that cross, it is finished. He did the work. You come in faith, believing what the Word of God declares, the good news. And you can do that right now by saying in your heart sincerely, Jesus, I come and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross for me. You did the work. Forgive me. You were put into a tomb and you rose again. You're alive. And I ask that you would sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for this new beginning and bring me into the family of God. And I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. And for all of us to know that God, he has ordained that you are his workmanship, his poem for good works that he's ordained beforehand. That he desires to use you where you're at to be light, to give truth, to be an expression of God's love. So, Lord, help us to do that. I do pray, Lord, as kids or families are out traveling and vacation time, that you keep them safe and bring them back safely to us. As parents, grandparents, others are going to be getting kids ready for school, that you would help them and provide for them. Be with our teachers. Lord, be with them and the helpers as they get ready for what's coming next month in a few weeks. 
And Lord, bless them, strengthen them. And I pray for all of us, wherever we are placed, I thank you that there are Christians that are in the hospitals. There are Christians that are in the restaurants and in the mechanic shops and out in the field working the land. And in all different fields, Lord, you have your people that we can give light and truth to others. So bless everyone here as we go our way. And all of God's people said, 